Hey team, it's Matt Drinkon here. And you might have heard, my brand new book releases on Amazon on March 8th. It's been a labor of love that I think can really help you navigate some of the challenges you're experiencing in your own life. I go over toxic positivity and how to think you're in it for everyone else. In reality, you're in it for yourself. And I express that through this entire book and help learn from our own mistakes and how to turn the lens on ourselves and ask good questions. So go to Amazon on March 8th and you can get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. That's it for me. Let's get into today's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, I welcome you back to the Eternal Optimist podcast. I'm your host, Matt Drinkon, and we are here for uh, a repeat guest. I think this might be the second or third repeat guest. We loved him so much the first time. Dr. Lou Tartaglia at Tartaglia. He tried to get me to say it correct last time. How did I do, Dr. Lou? Poorly. Ah, Tartaglia! <laughs> Poorly, great. It's, it's Tartaglia. Tartaglia. Yeah, that, that's great. You did it great. I did it great. And the GL in French, Romanian, Latin, and Italian is like the double L in Spanish or yeah. the YL in Portuguese. Yes. But it's okay. The name means stutter. Okay. So it's okay to stumble over it. Not a problem. Uh, I appreciate your patience and grace. And for those who remember Dr. Lou from the first time, he had an amazing story about Mother Teresa. He talked about Og Bandino. We talked about the COVID response. And we also talked about this amazing book that I'm holding up right now, The Last Gift of the Magi. And Dr. Lou shared many things about his health, about his wife, about the discipline that he has day to day that he goes through. So he's got some amazing stories today. We're going to talk about where he is right now in his world, just what's going on. And we're also going to talk about his new book. So we've got life lessons. We've got what's going on now. We've got all kinds of stuff to talk about. Lou, I'd ask you the first question. How are you doing today, my friend? It's been a really hectic day. It's the end of the year. So people have met their deductible and everybody's flooding into practice. And there's some days where there's a, a normal patient load. Today, people were coming in early and staying late because there's so many patients to, to be seen. Which is a good thing because it's fun. I wouldn't do it if it wasn't fun. My patient list is more fun than my honey-do list on the weekend. When that reverses, then I guess I have to retire. Or when it gets to the point where these complicated passwords that they give you for the software get so bad that I can't remember them, then I'll be forced to retire. I love that you bring an air of playfulness to it after a long day serving people. And I comment on your energy because the moment that you showed up, it's been a really enlightening, like a positive light energy. And the last time you had not come from a day full of patients where the energy was great. I'm curious, what is it exactly right now that's driving this energy, this purpose, this why, this driving energy that we're feeling? And where does that come from? I've always seen my practice as part of God's, of Christ's healing ministry. My practice is dedicated to taking care of his people. The energy is always there because I'm always trying to treat patients as made in the image and likeness of God, or as Mother Teresa would say, Jesus is in the disguise of the poor or distressed patient. Jesus is hidden within that disguise. And so you're always ministering really to Jesus. And it makes it much easier to tolerate some of the patients that are really out of whack. When I used to practice psychiatry, it was 
even more, there were more disturbed patients. Here, most of the patients are getting better because they have sleep problems, and we do a pretty good job at treating sleep problems. Absolutely. If you could, I believe that right behind you on your shelf, you have a saying, you have a quote, and you shared it with me earlier. I'd love if you could share it with our audience today. It says, impatience, man's attempt to interrupt God's divine plan. It used to be hanging in the waiting room when I was practicing as a psychiatrist. And a little while back, I found it and put it on the shelf in my office. I think when people understand that's really what it is, God's plan is always at work. And so our, our duty and our salvation is always associated with giving thanks for everything, no matter whether it looks negative or positive, that we give thanks because that enables us to appreciate that God is in control, we're not, and that eventually something good will come out of it. I have a, two really close friends that I'm in contact with frequently. One is Mark Victor Hansen, Chicken Soup for the Soul, and the other one is Les Brown, the probably the world's greatest motivational or inspirational speaker. And they're always saying, when I look back at the things that were really going wrong, when life was really down, when it looked like there was no way out of a situation. It was really the start of a turning point and that something great came out of it. I just couldn't see it when I was in the midst of it. And I try to keep that perspective because I never know what's really going to happen. All I know is that God's got control of my life. He's in charge. And if I stay joyful and grateful for what's happening, I'll eventually see what he was trying to get me to do or get me to change. What's happened since the last time we spoke? It's been about a year since the last time you were on the show. And I'm curious, in your world, where are the highs and lows and the things that you feel compelled to share today uh, to reintroduce you to our team? The high point really is there's a sequel to the uh, Last Gift of the Magi. Mm -hmm. And it's called The Return of the Cloth. The camel comes back 33 years later. For those of you who read the book, you know what happens at the end. There's that cloth that they fail to give to the Holy Family, and they bring it back in time for the crucifixion. And I decided that this book was going to focus more on character development and the process of changing your character flaws and substituting virtue. I wrote a book years ago called Flawless, the 10 Most Common Character Flaws, what you can do about it. And this is a way to present those principles without being upfront and saying, this is what you need to do for yourself. Because the camel and the, the young girl, the young lady uh, in, in the book have to go through a transformation in order to be able to live their purpose in life. And it was just a, so much more fun to write this one. This is the most fun I've had writing a book. And this is like book number six. I really enjoyed this. I love when you presented working on character flaws and, and evolving those or changing those into virtues. I love that you tell it in the, in the form of a parable. So I don't feel like right. you're criticizing me. I feel like you're helping me connect the dots. It's easier to watch a camel do the change than it is to listen to a person who did it because there's more conscious resistance when you're looking at a, a patient vignette versus this is an animal. It's being told what he needs to change and why he needs to change it. I wanted to get past that conscious resistance that most people have, because most people don't want to change their character. If they don't want to change it or they don't want to look in the mirror to see that right. the, they have a flaw in the first place, I'm, I'm curious what might be one of the flaws that this young camel has 
that starts to shift into a virtue, if you can give us a sneak peek. The camel is prone to raging indignation, getting upset and throwing tantrums and fighting with people or spitting at people or knocking other camels in the head with his head that butts and stuff. And addicted to being right, thinks that the, the reason he's upset is because he's right about what he's talking about. And the mentor is constantly pointing out why he's wrong, which just grates on him constantly. And it's a lot of fun to see that. I wonder in your wisdom and life experience, who some of your mentors have been that have helped to point out some of your uh, opportunities as you continue to grow, Lou? My first writing mentor was Ogmandino. And when I did the first manuscript on The Last Gift of the Magi, mm -hmm. there were some typos in the first few pages. Okay. And he called me up and he said, hey, babe. He used to call me babe like I was Babe Ruth or something. And we didn't talk about writing too much. We talked more about taking care of my kids and being a family man and Italian culture, because we're both Italian-Americans. He said, I threw the manuscript in the garbage. So he had that New England accent. And I said, you threw it in the garbage? He said, yeah, there were too many typos. If you were sending it to an editor, he said, it would get rejected. Wow. Start over. I started over. I was much more careful. And then my office manager's daughter was really a bright kid. She was a presidential scholar at NYU. I asked her to proofread for me. And that was helpful because I really am not a good proofreader. The proof editor on the next book is really was really a good editor. I enjoyed reading all the corrections. And that's huh. helpful. I can tell a story. I can get involved in fantasy. That comes easy to me. That's natural. But the writing is, is much more difficult to make sure I'm staying in the right tone, the right tense, to make sure that, that the English is appropriate. And if I okay. use certain types of things for one character, make sure I stick with it rather than lose that tone when you're writing. These are all techniques that you have to work on. My other writing mentor was Scott DeGarmo from Success Magazine, and he realized my strength was doing interviews. So we did a book together called Heart to Heart, and I did the interviews and he polished them. But I would write up the interviews and he would demand that there be no, there be no errors in the thing I wrote up. He was really demanding because he was an executive editor of various magazines throughout his lifetime. And he taught me to be much more careful. The common thread here, I ask you who might be a mentor, who do you accept criticism or feedback from? And you name three different types of people here. And you name Scott, your office manager, daughter. It doesn't seem like you have to have someone of a certain age or ethnicity or a certain type. Those are three different types of people right there. No, uh, just somebody who could see what I can't see can see my flaws so that once they're identified, I can do what's necessary to correct it. The, the goal is to not have that conscious resistance, to not be in denial that there's something wrong that needs to be changed. I'm curious, as you've had success in being able to, a very accomplished physician and someone who's been a successful author and you hang and cruise with people that are successful, how have you maintained humility throughout that journey? I pray for it. I was in a little adoration chapel praying for humility. And this guy walks in who I know is, he's a mystic. He leans over and he said, I don't know what you're praying for, but there's a beam of light pouring into your heart. He said, it sounds like Jesus wants you to have what you're praying for. And I was praying for humility. But it's easy to be prideful. It just comes natural. I have to be careful of that because it gets me out of whack 
and leads me to deny the things that I need to look at to be able to change. Fantastic. The Return of the Claw. The book takes place 33 years later. And I had fun writing about the fun. It was exciting to write about the passion. But I'm also telling the story of a young lady that has to go through a transformation. She's a tomboy when she starts out and wants to prove that she's a better rider, a camel rider, than her older brother. And she wants to go on this little journey with her father. And her father is Nemer from the first book. And it just becomes a whole lot of fun writing about her transformation. Who are the people that are going to read this and you feel be touched by it? Or who's the ideal book? That's a really nice question, because when Mark Victor Hansen read the book, when he read the manuscript, he said, boy, this is a perfect book to read during Lent while you're preparing for Easter. Okay. It's a journey that's taking you towards Easter, the book is about. And then, of course, it's the return of the cloth. And if you've read the first one, you understand what the cloth is about. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to make a spoiler for people. Yeah, we're not going to make a spoiler for people. It does pick up nicely from the first book, The Last Gift of the Magi. It starts with the two camel drivers returning to the caravan with the Magi. Then it takes you through the journey of the Holy Family through Egypt. In the Coptic church, in the Coptic tradition, that's the Egyptian, original Egyptian church is the Coptic church. They have the tradition as to where Mary and Joseph and Jesus went while they were in Egypt for about three years. And then they returned because Herod had died. And that was fun because I had to research all that. So there is a historical context. There is something there that will connect the dots, if you will. Anybody know there was a genre called religious historical fiction? Really? There's a whole genre. And when the book opened up, the first day it opened up, it was number one in religious historical fiction. So it got like a little gold seal from Amazon that it was a number one bestseller in a genre that I didn't know existed. Category design, that's the place to be if you're top of a category. It doesn't matter the category, but this is a pretty unique category. I feel that if someone points out a flaw or challenge in me, that this is not the easiest thing to accept sometimes because the ego or the pride might come in. But if I'm reading it, it's told this this way, I, I like to look for that. And I can if it's my idea, then maybe I'm a little more comfortable with the change. So I like that I can read this and see in that right. lens. And you can see change. it in the in Jamil, the young camel. You can see the flaw. And then there's a there's another young camel in the sequel, and you can see it there too. And yeah. it's pretty easy to spot. But there's an overriding theme, right? Even the mistakes you made, okay. God can use them to bring you back to him. So they make a mistake with the cloth, right? There was a mistake at the end. And that mistake brings them back to Jesus. It may take a number of years, but God will use your mistake to bring you back to him. And we see that in life all the time. We get off track, we make mistakes, and eventually we either hit bottom or we discover that it was a major mistake. We regret it, we're remorseful, and God will use that to gently bring you back to where he wants you to be. Even the Garden of Eden, right? The mistake brings us salvation through Jesus. I think of all the mistakes I've made in my life, I didn't even realize they were mistakes at the time that come to find out years later that, ah, God did bring me back and I did finally learn that lesson, or I think I did. Still learn. We always do, yes. I wonder what is it on this journey of writing this next book here, Return 
to the cloth, return of the cloth, I wonder what you may have uncovered or what you may have learned during this journey of this book. I did portray, which was interesting, is that the conscious resistance by the new camel, the new young camel that's completely out of whack, is broken down because of love. And so love is always the solution to breaking through the denial and helping a person change their character. That unconditional love, that willingness to love, once that penetrates the other person, the person is more willing to change their character. And once you have the unconditional love, then you're not as what mean or judgmental or some of the things that people might associate with. Your conscious resistance just melts away. The young girl almost yeah. dies saving the camel. And it finally dawns that there still is love out there. There's love that's available to us. We just have yes. to be willing to accept it. Yes, willing to accept it. And so we learn this or we feel this, we're willing to accept it. And we keep coming back, we keep praying, we keep coming back to, I need to live in love. And in order to live in love, I've got to continuously be practicing it and sharpening it or living it. It's not just, I learn it and now I am loved forever. I've got to keep practicing it. I'm curious right. where you've been tested in the last year since we spoke that has brought you back to love. Any challenges you may have seen? You shared the high of the book. Has there been a, a real time where you've been tested in the last year, Lou? There's always family stress. There's yeah. always relationships. And there's always people in my life that are going through things where they're suffering. And that's always been very challenging. To stay loving and focused on the other in spite of what they're going through is really important. Mm. And I don't want to get into details because it would violate a confidentiality. But this has been a year where we've had to deal with issues with children and grandchildren. And I think everybody goes through that because that's just part of life. At one time or another, somebody's going to need us to love them unconditionally and accept them in spite of what's going on in their life. Thank you for sharing what you can. I appreciate that. And I'm curious, remember last time we spoke, we talked about the very intense process of you and your legs and being able to continue the circulation in your legs. And I wonder how your health has progressed in the last year with walking and just the everyday things. How are you feeling nowadays? It's been pretty stable. I have to pump okay. the legs in mm -hmm. the evening for about an hour and a half. That gives me time to either do research or do some writing or to gather information that, that I need. And so I use it as a, a time to step back. I'm taking care of my health. My wife is very understanding about the fact that I need to be on this pump and I'm not up and around doing things with the rest of the family at that time. But I've been taking that in stride. It's been going on for 20-some uh, years. Yeah, it's amazing to me that something that just, it sounds, for those who have a perfect bill of health, they may hear your story of how you are so disciplined and you stick to that regimen and it just may shock them. And I, I'm just so impressed that you have stuck to it. And I just love your energy and your vitality, the way you're showing up today. It's hope for the rest of us that when I get to be, what, about 65? 74. <laughs> 74, for I know our friend Mark, I think she's 74. So we're talking about the age of 74, just to feel this love, this energy pour out of you and the humility that you're still learning. I think this is a good model that we might learn from, and I'm excited to read the book. It's coming out in January. This episode's gonna air as soon as possible. Listeners, you can find a place to buy the first book, 
the last gift of the Magi here in the show notes. And you can also get the second book, which is coming out here in January, right here in the show notes. Lou, is there also yeah. a website we can go to get it? Yeah, lastgiftofthemagi.com. Okay. Just last, last gift of the Magi, all one word, all connected. Or they can go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble and just to put my name in, and you'll see the books that I've written. You'll even see the probably the Mother Teresa audio program that we did years ago. Mm. Fantastic. Lou, is there any other story you'd like to grace us with or any way you'd like to finish our episode today? We'd love to hear it. Well, just stay focused on Jesus during Advent, that he's coming, and stay focused on him during Lent because it'll bring you to your salvation. It'll bring you to understand what your flaws are. During Lent, it's a great time to take a look at your character flaws and to do some prayer and fasting and work on a transformation so that you're ready to have a more beautiful Easter. Fantastic. Thank you, Dr. Lou Artalia. Beautiful. Beautiful. You did a beautiful job. Thank you, doctor, for being with us today. And we'll get that book as soon as it comes out. God bless you and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas.